everyone, and welcome back to the Whale Nerds Podcast. This is episode 140, and my name's Caitlin, and I am currently getting ready to head out on my next adventure, but before I head out, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the end of the Alaska season, headed down the West Coast, all that good stuff. So um, we'll get into it here in just a minute, but first I want to go through our usual um, opening announcements. First of all, Thank you so much to those of you that have been listening through all 140 episodes or bouncing around or however you do it, Um, but thank you for listening to us and supporting the podcast in whatever way works for you, whether that's through Patreon, uh, coming out on our trips in the past, uh, sharing the podcast with a friend, rating and reviewing the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. All of that really helps um, keep the podcast going around to new people and hopefully Um, inspiring other people to learn about whales in the ocean and and do more to protect it, get back into an area of interest that they love. Um, So yeah, we really, really appreciate your support. And um, our 2023 podcast schedule, just with all the new changes in um, our lives, is just we're we're putting them up as, as often as we can. So thank you for listening whenever there's new content out and re-listening old episodes that you enjoy or finding other content in the meantime. Um, I'm going to try and get something up on the blog before the end of the year. Um, it's a little tricky to, to find time to write between creating episodes, trying to produce content for the Safina Center, and also just my new work schedule has been pretty tough. And, you know, this is something that I just do for fun when I have time. Um, it also helps me stay interested um, and inspired to learn more about whales and the ocean and all that good stuff. So um, just keep an eye out on our website. Um, and we do have merch on our website. I'd like to get some other stuff up um, within the next couple months, maybe not in time for Christmas, but there is always Whale Nerds merch up on our website. You can order it anytime. And thank you so much for doing that. That does support us in uh, a little way every time you order something. Um, we do have video versions of our episodes on our YouTube channel, which is at, at Whale Nerds if you search the user. We're also on social media, Facebook and Instagram, at Whale Nerds. And you can always check our website, thewhalenerds.com. So um, I did talk about this on the last episode, on episode 139, um, just kind of keeping tabs on what's going on in Maui. Um, unfortunately, this year I will not be going, at least not right now, is the plan. Um, the crew that's still there is just barely getting back to work. Um, the West Side is starting to reopen this month. Um, not exactly sure how it's all going to go. Um, it's not really well received by everyone. I mean, some people are like, we have to get back to work. And other people are like, we're not ready for that. Um, and to be honest, like, I think the best way I can describe it and I don't know if I said this in the last episode or not, but it's like you're in a situation where you have to like charge tickets to a funeral. Like that's how it is with being so reliant on tourism um, in the midst of a tragedy. And so if you do choose to go to Maui for whale season over the next couple months, I do think things will settle out and things will be a little bit more smooth, especially as we get into December and January. Um, And the boat crews especially will be super grateful to have the work. Um, but just again, be really respectful, especially as the West side opens up, like, please be respectful of the boundaries. Know that people are still going to be coming over the next couple months and seeing their property for the first time. 
and grieving and trying to figure out what to do. And so um, I don't necessarily want to discourage you from going to Maui, but if you go, please be super cognizant of what's going on and maybe find a way to help while you're there. Um, people still are going to need supplies. People are going to need places to stay, things to do. Um, so if there's a way to get involved, maybe check in with Pacific Whale Foundation or your favorite boat crew and whoever's doing uh, community work still when you're there, definitely chat with them and ask about ways that you can help while you're on your vacation. Um, if, this, if the plan changes and I end up back in Maui, of course, you know, we'll see what's going on with the whales. The whales are still going to come. They don't care. Um, they, they don't really have a concept of what's happening on land for sure, but um, it'll be interesting. There's a lot of water quality monitoring going on, especially on the west side in the midst of the burn. And then as we start to stir stuff up into the air during the cleanup, they'll be heavily, hopefully heavily monitored um, in addition to monitoring the reefs that were damaged and all that kind of stuff as the salvage process continues for Lahaina Harbor and the surrounding area. Um, I know Pacific Whale Foundation is helping support that as best they can, as, along with a couple other um, research nonprofit organizations. Some of them unfortunately lost their whole infrastructure, like Maui Reefs and a few other um, groups. So, you know, supporting them so that they can get back to work monitoring the environment is also super great. So what was the last part of the Alaska season? So last time I talked to you, I was, I think, in the hotel at Anchorage, in Anchorage getting ready to get on the sister ship to the vessel I had been on all summer, which was the Roald Amundsen. I was getting ready to embark in Nome on the Fridjof Nansen. And I did two trips southbound on the Fridjof Nansen. We started in Nome and worked our way to Vancouver. And then we had more of like a repositioning cruise from Vancouver to San Diego. The last trip of the season for Alaska, we started off with some uh, rough and swelly and windy weather, which unfortunately was kind of just the theme of the whole rest of September for us, which no surprise between the Bering Sea, the Gulf of Alaska, and the open Pacific, like September, it's a gamble. It could be flat calm and like unbelievably gorgeous, or it could just be miserable. <laughs> And I think we really had something in between because I do think it could have been a lot worse than it was. Um, but unfortunately, we did not land on St. Matthew Island um, once we left Nome. But the skies were finally clear enough when we first left Nome that next morning we transited outside of St. Lawrence. We crossed the Dateline. We could actually see the Russian coastline. I have laid my eyes on the Russian coastline. And just to quote the infamous... Sarah Palin, I could see Russia from my backyard for a couple hours on that day. I mean, all the times we've transited that stretch of coast, I've never really seen St. Lawrence Island, and I've definitely never seen the Russian coastline. So that was really interesting um, and cool. You know, it was like, it's just a piece of land. It's mountains. It looks like everything else around it. But, you know, it's like, I never really thought I'd get to see um, the coast of Russia. And then also... I've had my second whale sighting recorded in Russian waters now with a killer whale sighting as well. So um, that's pretty cool that it's technically Russian waters. The humpback, we saw one humpback whale west of St. Lawrence earlier in the season, and then we saw killer whales. Um, I'm pretty sure when we got south of St. Lawrence that I did see a couple gray whales. The conditions were really windy, and gray whales are hard enough to identify and photograph when it's not windy. 
Um, but I got one photo of like the shoulders kind of behind the blowhole and it was very modeled pattern on the back. And then there's like a really difficult photo where like the wave splashing over the back as it rolls, but there's no clear dorsal fin. So I'm quite sure that we saw a couple gray whales that were either getting their last meals in the Bering Sea or had started moving south already. Um, it does really seem like the whales were much further north um, than they usually are because there's no sea ice. Um, they were quite a way up, quite a ways up into the Beaufort and Chukchi seas, um, maybe even approaching like the Arctic. Um, and uh, there's some new science that just came out this week confirming kind of what we've all been suspecting about the gray whale population decline. So I'll have to cover that in another episode because we've got new population estimates and a little bit more detail on what's going on in the Arctic region. During the summer, um, unfortunately, it's kind of just like a foreshadowing of what's to come in the midst of climate change, but gray whales are very hardy animals, so I hope that some of them will still stick around um, in the midst of this changing ocean. So we went through the Bering Sea. We got down to St. Paul Island. I was quite nervous about the swell direction because of where their harbor is located um, and how it's set up. It's quite likely that you can have like a full breaking wave across the harbor entrance and to get in you have to like surf the wave and then take a hard right and I was like mm, I don't know about this this is a lot of people on this trip like that means a lot of zodiac trips with like we might have to make them lighter like have less people in them which means more shuttling back and forth but then when we came around the corner and looked at the entrance of the harbor it actually looked more beautiful than it had all season. So um, really, really great day on St. Paul. Still lots of fur seals, still lots of pups. The pups were even more uh, mobile because they're, you know, their moms are taking care of them less and less as they get ready to send them off on their own for the winter. Um, so seeing them running around and being super cute and the fur seal blind was open again for guests, it was really awesome. And then we had a lot of foxes, like so many Arctic foxes. And I think it's, they were more visible because the babies, the kits, were more bold coming out of the den. So they were just like the parents weren't kind of tucked away hiding, taking care of the babies. The parents were more out and about. And then the the kits were out of the den running around as well. So lots of Arctic foxes, which was also really great. Um, of course, Red Lake Kitty Wakes. We still had good views at the seabird viewing cliffs. And overall, a really, really nice visit on St. Paul. Um, from there, we went down uh, to Dutch Harbor, and we had really excellent, I believe it was the crossing between St. Paul and Dutch Harbor. Maybe it was between St. Matthew and St. Paul. Somewhere in the bearing, they all blend together at this point. I'd really have to look through all my photos to keep them all straight again. But we had a three albatross species day, which was really incredible. So we had black-footed albatross. We had three different ages of short-tailed albatross. So we saw the all-dark juvenile with just the pink bill. We saw a mottled adult, well, like juvenile transi transitioning to adult plumage, and then one that was basically in full adult plumage. So short-tailed albatross multiple times that day, lacing albatross all day, and a few black-footed albatross as well. And it was partially because it was so r windy and rough um, was why we could see them. Uh, and it was interesting because the short-tailed especially would like catch the wind and come up above our heads on the bow. I've never seen albatross do that, but 
it was also blowing like 50 knots of wind. So <laughs> anything's possible. Um, but really, really good looks at the birds. And that was really cool. So I'm glad I was able to like get a nice couple sightings of a short-tailed albatross. Um, because I had seen them earlier this season and they were like really mediocre. And so this, this time I actually like got photos, got to enjoy them. It was really, really nice. We did have killer whales quite a bit. I think we had them almost every day for the first five or six days of the trip, um, through the bearing. And then also when we were in Dutch Harbor, um, there were also humpback whales in like at the dock <laughs> where we tied up in Dutch Harbor, which was great. Like we came in and we were just getting secured to the dock and I was out watching the sunrise with some guests on the bow and then poof, this humpback just popped up right next to the ship and I was like so caught off guard. I didn't have my, I just had my cell phone. I was just taking like a sunrise video and then this whale popped up and it was so beautiful. Um, and it stayed around near the ship for a while and then kind of wandered back out. And then later I came back up onto, or I was looking out the window or something from my room. And then there was two whales next to the ship. And so I went up until I had to go out and like do my facilitating around town. Um, I went up on the deck and was like photographing them and just watching whales while the ship was tied up on the dock. And that was really awesome. And then in town, after I finished my like duties for the day, we went and had lunch at the Norwegian Rat Bar, which is like one of the few places you can eat in Dutch Harbor, and it's kind of famous, but maybe infamous is a better word. But they have really great ocean viewing at the tables, and so I had had my camera with me because I wanted to photograph the bald eagles around town and stuff, and maybe some of the foxes if I saw them. And um, uh, some people were like, oh, there's whales out the window, and I was like, oh, gotta go. And like our food hadn't been delivered yet. And so I went outside and it was two killer whales, um, just cruising right by the shore outside the window. They both had like really short, stocky, triangular shaped dorsal fins. So I don't know if it was like two young males or if it was like just two big old females. I don't really know, but got some cool photographs of them as they came down the shoreline. And, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. I saw so many whales, like without even really trying <laughs> in Dutch Harbor, which was fun. And then when we left, there was a nice little contingency of, of whales again outside of Dutch Harbor. Um, some of them were surface feeding or like kind of like side lunging and stuff, which was really great to see. We had two recites of whales that we knew from earlier this season. One of them is Flame, not the famous Flame around Juneau, um, but the Dutch Harbor Flame, who I think if you search her name, it says E-O-T-W in parentheses next to it. And then another whale um, that we also saw on the last northbound trip on Amundsen. So having two sum same summer recites is really interesting. Um, I do think that in Dutch Harbor especially, but maybe a few other zones in the Aleutians, uh, there is a group of whales that have really high sight fidelity because flame has been seen across multiple seasons right there outside of Dutch Harbor as well. So... Um, yeah, I, unfortunately, no one's really there to study it in great detail. I mean, when the ships go in there, they're trying to get opportunistic data. Um, and I do think there's one research organization that did do a survey this summer. Um, I think it was through Gulf Society or one of the university groups. I don't know exactly. I'll have to look at the Happy Whale um, submissions. But there's definitely some 
some interesting stuff happening there. I just wish we had more sighting coverage. Um, but it was cool nonetheless to be like, I've seen this whale before. And I actually recognized it like while I was photographing it. I was like, oh, this whale is very familiar. Um, and we didn't have a ton of time because it was getting dark and we were kind of like trying to time the passing through the baby islands um, with the current and stuff. But there was several groups like out further offshore that were surface feeding together as well with big flocks of shearwaters, which was really, really interesting. Um, I mean, if there was more tourism, Dutch Harbor, you could definitely make whale watching a thing there because there was whales there all freaking summer. Um, it does get foggy and I'm sure there are times when the weather gets really rough, but sometimes the whales are like literally right there, like so close. Um, so yeah, so then we went through, as we came down the Aleutians, we went through the baby islands. We, before the night fell, we came across another huge flock of shearwaters and fulmars, like thousands and thousands of birds. There was a couple humpbacks there surface feeding. Um, and then a group of killer whales blew by as well. So just so many killer whale sightings that first few days of the trip. And then um, as we continued on, we went to Chignik. Um, it was a very rainy visit, so it was a very brief visit, but I did enjoy some river otters while I was maintaining the uh, boundary in town. Um, Chignik, unfortunately, the bears that are there seemed very hungry and cranky all year, even when the fish showed up, so we had to have a pretty tight, um, tight perimeter around town not to let people wander off into bear country by themselves. Um, and so... I did get to enjoy a nice group of river otters, got to see them catching salmon. They were swimming around in the ocean, um, which, you know, they're called river otters, but they do what they want. Um, but it was very cool. I'd never really, I'd seen them briefly last time we were in Chignik, and I'd seen them briefly in Misty Fjords, but this time I actually got to watch them for like 45 minutes, um, which was really nice. And then from there, we went to Katmai National Park. We spent our whole day in Geographic Harbor, which I think was the best possible decision we could have made. It was raining, um, but there was so many bears, like more bears than we've seen all season, which I was relieved to see because August is supposed to be the peak and there were not very many bears when we were there on the last trip on Amundsen. And I was quite worried that we would see like no bears in September. Um, so I don't know if the fish were just late um, or what was going on, but no matter what the tide was, we saw plenty of bears. We saw lots of bears swimming. We saw lots of bears just picking up dead and dying salmon out of the, out of the water and like sitting in the water and eating them. Uh, we had two moms with cubs. We had one mom who had a very pudgy little cub and one mom with twins who were much smaller. And I actually think that those cubs were both born this, both sets of cubs were born this year. And it really just shows like when mom only has one to provide for, how big and chunky they can get. It was like a little roly-poly baby bear. It was hilarious how pudgy it was. And it was good because like mom looked good, baby looked good. And so, you know, they were feeding well all year. And then there was a mom with two much smaller cubs who are not nearly as heavy in weight. I mean, they didn't look bad, but it was just pretty incredible the difference between the two. I don't think it was a whole year difference. I think it was more like, mom's ability to provide um, type of thing. So, um, and then the two cubs at one point were wrestling each other and it was really adorable. Um, and it, on our last cruise of the day in there, 
we went up to the river and there weren't really very many bears and the guests are starting to get like a little unsettled. And I was like, they're here. I know they're here. And then finally one guest is like, I think I see one laying down. And as we crept in closer to the river mouth, you could see some in the back of the river, but the rest of them were all sleeping in the grass. And so I said, I think it's better if we just stick it out here. We can go look around and come back, but I, I know all the bears are still here. They're just napping. And so we kind of left and like found another bear sleeping on the shoreline that was more exposed. So we sat and enjoyed that. And then that bear got up and started swimming. So then we watched where it went and another bear came down to the shore and so they were kind of keeping track of each other, which got a little bit more interesting to watch. And then by then, all the other bears started getting up from their naps and moving around, which really saved the day on that last trip. Um, but yeah, much more bears than we had seen uh, this whole season. So that was really great. Um, the rest of the offshore crossings between Kodiak and Seward and Icy Bay and Sitka, the weather was pretty tough. Um, it was definitely, uh, not very many guests out and about for some parts of it because it was so rolly and rocky and it was definitely a tough crossing for some people. The ship is very stable though, which was nice, um, because it definitely made it manageable for those that didn't feel seasick to still come out. And we did still see, uh, good wildlife. Um, in Icy Bay, I finally got a photo of a sea otter on ice, which I really wanted, which was nice. It wasn't the greatest photo in the world, but it's proof. Sea otter hauled out on a piece of ice. Um, and we saw Baird's beaked whales on our way between Icy Bay and Sitka. Um, we saw some humpbacks, quite a few humpbacks piled in front of Sitka. We did, the sea conditions were not ideal for trying to go and watch whales on our way in. Um, but we did see a very interesting whale uh, in front of Sitka Harbor as we were slowing down to have the pilot come aboard. Um, we got to photograph, I think, five or six different whales. And one of them pinged back as a match of Southeast Alaska 2525. And I started reading her profile. And I was like, okay, cool, known female, first seen 2008. And then I read her uh, bio and says, frequently side with a calf in 2021 by Alan Marine Tours, mother of McFly. Guess when and where we saw McFly? This April on our trip in Monterey. So McFly was a whale that was, was a, its mom is an Alaskan whale. She's very regularly seen in Southeast Alaska, especially in front of Sitka. And McFly was taken up there for the first summer in front of Sitka and around Southeast, mostly in front of Sitka. And then and now it just hangs out in Monterey. Well, at least it did this past spring. It was there quite often. Um, let me see if it was pulled. Let me pull it up here and see if it was submitted at all in the fall. May, April. Yeah, just May and April in California. And then no record of it since... May 29th. No, excuse me. Let's get these. So the past two springs, it's been in California. So first seen in Alaska in August 2021, then showed up April 15th of 2022, and then was last seen April 27th of 2023. So only ever seen in April and May in California, never seen the rest of the summer, has not been sighted in the winter yet. That makes sense. It's only like a two-year-old whale. So like, what? 
what is this whale doing? Like, how has it been? Like, how did it figure out California? Where does it go the rest of the summer? I mean, there is a huge stretch of coastline it could be on that no one is looking. Um, and so, yeah, it's just very interesting stuff. And so I was kind of nerding out with Ted about this because I ran into him in San Diego um, on the ship briefly. And it's like, well, how do you turn these anecdotes into data? You know, like, this is a very interesting story between 2525 being a loyal Southeast Alaskan whale um, and seen in Hawaii to this, to her calf, McFly, now been seen in California two springs in a row. I mean, it raises all kinds of questions about migration patterns, site fidelity, you know, culture of whales, things like that. Um, and unfortunately, we just have such huge gaps in sightings and, um, and also in just, do we have enough of these stories to, for them to not be anecdotes anymore? Can they be data points somehow? And right now, I don't think we're there, but it's definitely interesting. Um, and it was kind of cool for me, like, I saw her calf and then I saw her in two very different places in the same year. Um, but yeah, I mean, very, very interesting sighting. Unfortunately, I was hoping to get some insight as to what's going on off the West Coast in September. Um, and our West Coast transit was tough. Um, the weather was really rough. It was really windy. And unfortunately, we were very far offshore the whole time. So I know that the West Coast in the near coastal waters is just exploding with wildlife right now, especially off California, um, but I suspect off Oregon and Washington as well, and we just were not anywhere near seeing it. Um, so that was a bummer. Um, as we came into Eureka, we did see a blue whale. Actually, we may have seen more than one blue whale, but I definitely have photos of one blue whale, quite a few fin whales. Um, we had some good looks at Pacific white-sided dolphins. Uh, including a Brownells color morph, which was nice. I got photos of it leaping out of the water. So that was really cool. Um, and a really cool thing to like talk about with guests as well. Like I just shot a bunch of photos and then as I ran back through them in the review, I was like, what the heck? This is a, this is a Brownells morph. And so then that sparked a bigger conversation, um, which was pretty fun. And we did have Northern right whale dolphins mixed in with the white sides, um, they were really hard to pick out. I thought I had seen them in binoculars and then just kind of like wrote it off because I couldn't tease them apart. And then at one point on the bow, which this has happened to me several times on these ships, just because of the flare of the bow. If it's really calm, you can hear if there's dolphins down there, but you can't see them. So I figured out if I go down on deck six and stick my phone out the scupper, I can see them on my phone screen, which is very risky. Don't necessarily recommend it, but I did get videos of northern right whale dolphins on the bow. One was in a group of white sides, and then there was a group of three by themselves on the bow for like 20 minutes. And so then I brought people down. I was like, look at my phone screen while I'm laying on the deck. And then they could see the dolphins as well, which was cool. So that was good sightings coming into uh, Humboldt Bay. Wow, the uh, harbor entrance in Eureka, that is no joke. Like if you've never been in there, you got to really watch your chart and your navigation buoys because there's a breaking wave like well into the harbor entrance. Like when you come in, you have to hug the right side of the channel because the whole left side is like breaking wave, breaking wave, breaking wave. So that was pretty gnarly to get our big ship in there with that kind of conditions, but we got in and out. Okay. Um, had a pretty nice day in Eureka. It was very nice weather. Um, 
and then pretty good whale action coming in. And then the next day we were in Santa Barbara. Um, there was quite a few whales and like just, just crap loads of common dolphins um, coming in and out of Santa Barbara, especially exiting out towards the shipping lanes. There was lots of whales and actually looking at the whale watching reports from the companies in that area. Sounds like a lot more whales than they're used to seeing in the fall. So really good action out in Santa Barbara as well. Um, and then we worked our way into San Diego and just more, uh, more dolphins and really beautiful conditions. Actually that night between Santa Barbara and San Diego was like the coolest. I went out to see if there's bioluminescence. I knew it was not likely because it was full moon, but the way that moonlight was like scattered through the clouds, it was like one of the prettiest things I've ever seen on the ocean was like when you have like a really moody sunrise and it's like really cloudy and it's like oil painting, it's glassy calm. It was like that, but moonlight. So that was really, really beautiful. And of course there were dolphins in the middle of the night, could hear them and kind of see them because the moonlight was so bright. Um, so that was really nice. And then after that, I was home for a few days and then I went out to the East Coast to visit some friends and some whales. And that was really nice as well. I do love fall whale watching pretty much anywhere. <laughs> Um, and on the East Coast, this season, it seems like it's been really unpredictable, especially on the north part of the feeding grounds. Um, there were whales pretty consistently on Jeffrey's Ledge, um, which is between New Hampshire and, and Massachusetts, um, for a lot of the summer, and then the rest of the time they have been moving around. The north end of Stellwagen Bank has been pretty quiet, um, and then a lot of whales were way down past the Cape, like towards the Great South Channel, and then also around the south end of Stellwagen Bank. Um, so we did end up taking the boat down there a couple times, which was very nice to see some whales that I recognized. Um, Salt was in the area, but we never actually honed in on her, unfortunately, but I know she was around because some other boats had seen her. Um, and we saw some bubble feeding, um, some cooperative feeding, and up north we had that as well one of the days, and so really great um, but also kind of, I know it was stressful for the crew, lots of searching around, the whales moved around a lot. Um, when the weather's nice, it's fine to go 30 miles, but when the weather's not nice, it's really not fun to go 30 miles to go find whales. Um, but yeah, very good to see some familiar flukes and it was a nice little reset after Alaska. It was good to see some friends and, and just play around on the boat a little bit. I did actually work twice as well. <laughs> um, always bring your deck boots with you if you're going to a boat that you know. And yeah, so now what is next for me? Um, I'm leaving this afternoon to head south for the winter, um, at least for the next couple months. Um, starting off with the Cheeseman's trip to South Georgia and Antarctica, and then working for a couple different companies doing Antarctica and um, at least one more South Georgia trip um, from now until mid-February. And I don't really know what's going to happen after that. Might just be off for the rest of the winter, might pick up more work. Um, but yeah, excited to get back down to the Southern Hemisphere, see more of the season, see different places, and learn from different ships and crews and see how they do things down there. Um, hopefully going to learn a lot, and I'm really going to try this winter to kind of reflect on, like, what are we doing here, right? Like, this is such a remote place and such an incredible place, and, like, I really want everyone to see it, but at the same time, like, is it right? Like, do we need to have 
80,000 people go to Antarctica every winter? Like, is that the right thing to do, actually? And so then how do we... How do we do enough good to kind of offset the impact, right? Like there's no denying that we are having an impact, whether it's just in general as humans creating a climate that is changing this ecosystem, um, but also by directly visiting this place, by, you know, going out in Zodiacs, by landing on shore, by bringing these ships down here. And it's it's hard to measure because things are happening. Things are changing so quickly in the polar regions that it's like a mad scramble to make sense of what data we're recording. And I do think that quite a few companies are trying to do the right thing when it comes to that, like doing supporting as much community science as they can, providing data to researchers, providing cabins and vessels and things to researchers to get them down there because it's not easy to get there. But I mean, I don't know. So I really want to reflect on that this winter. And, you know, once I see it kind of in its full um, full momentum, like see the whole machine going because we're back to like, quote unquote, normal Antarctic tourism, I think, at this point. Um, and then seeing it from the perspective of several different ships, different sizes, different routes, different company mentality. Um but yeah, I'm just definitely, I'm hoping to give myself time to kind of process and reflect while I'm down there. Because I also was kind of torn up with those questions, um, you know, when we're transiting through the Bering Sea and coming in and out of Nome and, you know, ships are coming and going through the Northwest Passage that I'm working on. And in some ways, it, it's a good thing to expose people to this whole different part of the world and, and give them pause to reflect and and experience it. And it's maybe also in some ways good for these remote communities to have an opportunity um, to show that they're here and this is how they live, uh, especially indigenous people like, hey, hello, we're still in the high Arctic, like we exist. Um, and hopefully also make some money off of it. But also like, is it always like, I just worry that are our visitors always being respectful? Is it more hassle than it's worth for some people in these communities? Um, even in the remote areas of the Aleutians, you know, like these people do have much more connection with civilization than maybe some of the communities in the Northwest Passage. But either way, like, are we doing, are we, is the community getting enough out of our visit versus our visit for our guests are getting enough out of it, you know? So just some things to like reflect on and think about. And if you're a, a guide or a person that works in these remote areas too, and you have thoughts on it, or you just want to like chat about it or whatever, like, let me know. Um, cause I'd, I'd love to hear other people's perspectives about it too. Like what, you know, what's your take on how to do it responsibly and, and like, how do you get a sense and not even necessarily quantify and measure, but like, how do you get a sense of like, are we doing the right thing? You know? Um, so yeah, so I'll keep you posted as best I can. Um, hopefully the ships have fairly good internet so I can podcast while I'm there or at least on like, uh, turnover days. Um, and I'll keep you posted on what's going on down South and it's a whole new adventure. More whales to see, more penguins to learn about, lots of seals to learn more details about. So I'm excited and, uh, can't wait to share more with you. So thanks so much for listening. And I uh, hope you have a good rest of your week 
and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye.